Uh, we are starting a new series today, 40 Days of Prayer, and um, it's been four years for, of us doing this now with, along with the Alliance, and I think it's a good way to start a new year. And just want to let you know about some resources and things at cmalliance.org, uh, which if you didn't know, is the main website for our denomination, so you can always be going there to look for, there's always resources and videos and stuff there, but if you go to cmalliance.org and either click on the 40 days or just put slash 40 days, uh, there is a web page there dedicated to 40 days of prayer. There are a number of um, either online, and there, I think there are some in-person gatherings as well, but you can register for those. There is a number of resources like daily devotionals. You can download those as PDFs. Um, there are also kids' resources. So for those of us that have kids, there are uh, 40 days of prayer resources there as well for our kids. So just want to let you know about all of that. It's going to be uh, six Sundays that will be uh, in this theme of 40 days of prayer. And so obviously want to be encouraging you. Um, I know sometimes it kind of goes without saying, but I'm going to say it, uh, that a practice of daily prayer is a really essential part of your life with God and your life in what he is doing. So uh, that might just look like silence and solitude. That might just look like quiet. It might look like um, just meditating on a verse. Um, I know a lot of us this time of year get caught up in the, uh, especially our, those of us who are a little more um, like to check boxes off and be driven about things. We get caught up in Bible reading plans, which are good. Don't ever hear me saying they're not good. But if they are just for the sake of you checking boxes, it's probably a little bit not what they're meant to do. So I just want to give you permission as your pastor or whatever, that if you just want to read one verse for like a week and meditate on it, and that is causing you to be closer to Jesus, that's better than you checking a bunch of boxes of reading off. Uh, so I want to just be encouraging you, be in the scriptures, be making it a practice to be present with God every day. We call that prayer. Uh, if you need help with doing that or it's kind of a, a dry season, I'd love to talk with you about what some resources are. Um, but that is part of our spiritual life, and so just want to encourage you to do that. Um, also, we haven't really mentioned this in a while, but if you turn and look back there... There is like a thing hanging on the wall, and the purpose of that, uh, I wanted to just retouch on it in a prayer series today, is if you walk into this room and you would like to be free from the slavery of that thing in your pocket, uh, or maybe some of you on your wrist too, because I know that's how it works, um, that is what that's for. If you want to put your phone in like airplane mode, or actually like, I know we don't do this, shut it off off, like where you push the power button and slide the thing. Um, that's what that's for. You can put it over there and kind of just let it be over there during the service, be present in this room. Um, it's just an invitation. It doesn't, I'm not counting how many phones are in there every week. I mean, mine's right here. So obviously it's just an invitation, but it's just something I did a while back and some of us used it for a while. So just want to just retouch on that again. Um, all of that, just again, no pressure, just invitation into uh, life with Jesus on a deeper level. So as we said earlier today, we're starting 40 days of prayer along with our Alliance family. Technically, we're on like day seven already. So it uh, started on the first. Uh, but if you're newer with us, um, maybe you have a question about why a church would be part of a denomination or a family of churches. This is kind of one of the highlights of why we would want to be part of a bigger family of churches. The reality that there are churches all over this country like ours who are having somebody stand up and say basically similar things to what I'm saying today, I think is really neat. Uh, I think it's really beautiful. We're doing it together. I think it has a lot of value. Um, just want to encourage you to make some space in your calendar. If you want to go to this website and look at the gatherings, 
uh, to maybe participate in one of those online gatherings. They're really uh, cool, and they're happening over the next six weeks. So today we're going to begin this six-week journey of prayer by looking at the reality of the call to wake up and be present in the here and the now. Uh, and so we're going to be in Romans chapter 13. I'm going to ask Abby to come and read the text for us today. Uh, and so she's going to be in Romans chapter 13. If you have a Bible, you can follow along with her. This is for you. Hey. Okay. Romans 13, 8 to 14. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost there. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of your flesh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man traditionally you would say thanks be to god after a bible reading i think she's really feeling thanks be to god it's, it's over thank you for doing that all right so as we start out a new year uh, most of us uh, we had this a little joke about this as we were praying before the service started but it's you know it's our tradition in our american driven culture to have resolutions those aren't bad if you're a resolutions person but I just want to remind you, uh, nothing magical happens at midnight on January 1st, right? You're just still you, and it's just another night. It's just another trip around the sun. The world is still the world. Uh, but it is still maybe a good practice to remind ourselves of the essentials, the essential calling of the Christian life, and that is love. That's the essential central calling of the Christian life. Jesus said the world would know that we're his disciples by what? Our good theology? No, although that's good, and good theology leads to love. He said he would know uh, that we are his disciples by our love for one another. And so today's text is kind of a parallel of that reality that I want to hopefully show you. Paul says this, it's starting in verse 8. Let's start in verse 8. Owe no one anything except love each other. So on the one hand, what is he encouraging us? He's encouraging us to get out of debt. Don't owe anybody anything. That's good practical advice. If Dave Ramsey were here, he would like be cheering, right? But on the other hand, this is not, that's not Paul's point. On the other hand, he is telling us that we have an ongoing debt of something else. Don't owe anything to anybody. Now, you can take that too far and be prideful and never accept help. And some of us really struggle with that, right? That's not his point. He says, don't owe anything to anybody. And on the other hand, he says, we have this ongoing debt of love to love each other. Now, there was a, a church father in the second century named Origen, and he wrote this. So Paul desires that our debt of love should remain and never cease to be owed, for it is expedient that we should both pay this debt and always owe it. 
So the Christian is always a debtor to love, no matter how much love we give, because the love that has been given to us is unending. So we always owe a debt of love, which is a pretty good debt to owe. And so every time we meet someone, every time we lay our eyes on anybody, we ought to say to ourselves, I owe this person love. I ought to show them the love of Christ. This is what I owe them. I have this amazing debt that I get to pay to them of love and that I also receive from brothers and sisters. Now, how many of you, maybe when you were like in school or something, or, or maybe this happens now, you've owed somebody some money, right? Maybe 20 bucks, whatever. Uh, and what's the first thing that pops in your head when you walk into a room and you see that person? Ugh, right? I owe this person money. And so if, it's, if you make it weird, you try to leave the room and they try to find you and they're like, what's your Venmo? And you try to write the whole thing. We've all maybe had that feeling of walking into a room and owing somebody something. And that's the first thing we think of. And so this is what Paul is kind of getting at here. We should see ourselves as spiritual debtors, that we owe this debt of love. When we come to church, when we go to work, when we're out shopping, when we go to school, when we're with friends, whatever it is, wherever we go, we owe love to everyone. Everyone we see is a person to whom we owe a debt of love. And so he concludes verse 8 with this. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, that's real interesting. How does loving our neighbor fulfill the law? Well, if we just want to break it down into kind of two, into the bucket of the Ten Commandments, right? That's kind of a simple version. There's kind of those two main divisions. Maybe you didn't know this. This is typically why in pictures of the, old, of the Ten Commandments, there's two tablets, because there's kind of two divisions, uh, or some call them tablets, of the Ten Commandments. There's this first division, this first bucket of rules or commandments that sort of get us this vertical Godward commandments, right? You shall have no other gods before me. There's that kind of set of commandments. But then there's this second set of commandments, the second uh, division that contains horizontal commands that pertain to our relationships to one another. And each of the divisions can be summed up like Jesus did in Matthew 22 when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Maybe you know your Bible, you remember this. If not, uh, this is good for you to hear. It says this in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And what Jesus says here is so vital. And the second one is like it, meaning just as important, just as vital, completely connected to the first one. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then if you know the story, our wicked, wicked hearts like to start looking for loopholes immediately and go, well, who's my neighbor, right? And Jesus says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Everything that you think of as a rule from God is hung on these two things that are intermingled. Love God and love other people. That's it. So here's the idea. Keep both the vertical and the horizontal commands and you keep the law, which we know we can't do. And here in his letter to the Romans, Paul is assuming that his readers, the Roman Christians, and by the virtue of inspiration, you and I have a vertical love for God. He's writing to Christians, but he's, he's encouraging them. Do they have a horizontal love for others? And if so, they're fulfilling, they're walking in God's law. So when we love our neighbors, what we do is we end up refraining from 
breaking the horizontal relational commands that we see all over the scriptures. But here, Paul gives some examples. Look at verses 9 and 10. And he quotes, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So when you love your neighbor, you refrain. Like if you're married, if you love your closest neighbor, your spouse, you refrain from adultery. Right? Yes, is the answer to that. When you love your neighbor, you regard their life as valuable. Who is your neighbor? Anybody else with the image of God in them. To be clear, including unborn children right? At the moment of conception, they are our neighbor. You shall not murder them. When you love your neighbor, you don't steal from them. You don't take what's not yours. That's not love. There's a sense in which love for our neighbor is a more obvious outward expression or measure of where we stand with God than even our love for God is itself. Why? You can convince others that you love God, right? You can kind of play the pious game, convince others you love God, but it is way more difficult to fake love for your neighbors if you don't actually love them. It's pretty tough. They're not fooled as easily, right? Your closest neighbors, your family members, they can see through your games. They can see through your games. And so love for others provides a measure of the spiritual reality of our lives. If you hate other people, you don't love God. It's just that simple. And so we might be tempted to hear these words, oh, I've heard this before, it's a call to love in a church, like what's new, and kind of casually let them roll on by. But if we do that, then we're actually the person who's being addressed, the sleeper, right? The person who is asleep, lulled to sleep. You've heard this before, whatever, I'm going to move on and kind of just, yeah, I heard that, but I'm just going to keep going. Well, Paul is saying, hey, wake up. It's you. There's a famous sermon uh, by a preacher who says, uh, he says something and the audience laughs and he says, I don't know what you're laughing at. I'm talking about you. And that's what Paul is doing here. I don't know who you think I'm talking about, sleeper, but it's you if you think this doesn't apply to you. He doesn't view this call to horizontal love as a casual matter. He puts urgency on it. Look at verses 11 into 12. He says, besides this, right? So on top of this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For what? Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. I I know that I'm sorry about this. I can't help it. Every time I read this text, I can't help but think of the Dark Knight Batman movie, right? Some of you are like, I was just thinking that too, right? That the night is darkest before the dawn. That's that's pretty similar. And his sense of urgency here is seen by his use of the word time in his opening phrase. Besides this, you know the time, he says. Now, maybe you didn't know this in the original language, but you know this by experience in your own life, that there are two ways to think of time. In the Greek language, there's actually two words that could be used. There's the word chronos, which we get our word chronological from, and that's what it emphasizes, kind of calendar time, as time moves along in sort of a linear path uh, through our lives, right? And so there's that idea of time, and we're familiar with that. That's what the new year celebrates, right? It's moved from this 
to this. But there's this other way of, of feeling and understanding time, which is kairos. And that emphasizes a kind of time or a quality of time. And we use that when we talk about spending quality time with each other, right? We're not talking about necessarily three hours, but quality time refers to the kind of time we're spending with one another. He says, besides this, you know what the kind of kairos it is. That's what Paul's getting at here. What kind of time is it? Well, the New Testament talks about this time, and it says it's the last days, Okay, now I know you say that phrase in our evangelical world now and everybody, ah, the last days, but be careful. This is why it's so important for us to understand some of these language things and and for you to have biblical literacy. That's why it matters to you in your day-to-day life. These last days does not refer chronologically to time, but instead refer qualitatively to time. And so the last days began with Christ And they could culminate in the day at any moment. So there is an urgency. Like we expect Christ at any moment. Just like like Paul said, salvation is nearer now than it's ever been. Salvation is nearer now than when you walked in here today. Because chronos time has passed. But the point is not to live in fear of the clock ticking. There is not some eternal scoreboard with a clock ticking down on it that you know about. But instead, the point is to live in the urgency of knowing these are the kinds of days in which we have the opportunity to love, right? Because understand that sharing the love of Jesus with those who don't yet share it themselves is limited to this time, these last days. In the kingdom of heaven, that's not going to be what we're doing. So it's an opportunity. Understand that's what Paul's getting at here. Here is what one commentator says about this idea. This present age, which Paul refers to as the night, could never have a higher status than that of something far spent. Henceforth, the day would always be imminent until it should finally break. We are living in kind of a a perpetual right before the dawn of Jesus' coming time. That's where we live, which is why it's dark. So this brings an urgency to this issue of loving others, of waking up to love others. We're supposed to wake up from spiritual sort of lethargy, from laziness, and love our neighbors while we have the opportunity to do so. You won't always have the opportunity. That's the urgency of living in the last days. It's not a life of fear and worry over the last. It's not hand-wringing over the last days. We know the end of the story. The, the, the last days are not going to be changed by the election. They're not going to be changed by economics. They're already set. So don't live in your, your life in wringing hands, but instead live a life of urgently taking the opportunity to walk in the love that we owe because these are the kind of days in which we get to wake up to love. This is a call to love now because the days are later than they ever have been before. See, each ache we feel, each pain, right, is all creation groaning, it is. We sang that this morning. Each gray hair, each new wrinkle, each funeral we attend is a reminder that it is later than it has ever been before. And so let's wake up. It's time to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, Paul tells us next 
some things we have to put off and some things we should put on as if we're going to succeed at walking in love. He says in verse, the end of verse 12, so then, so because of what I just said about the kairos time, the kind of time we're in, he says, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So he's specific. Let's walk through them. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. So let's just walk through these here. He names them. They must be important. First, there have to be no orgies and drunkenness. These words used together, like you can figure out what those words mean. We're all adults in here. I know you know how to read, right? These words used together picture the person who is constantly partying. They're inebriated on drink or otherwise. They're a, this, this is their kind of lifestyle. And they're a constant source of trauma and, and trouble, Right? The Christian who wants to walk in love cannot be that person at the same time as they're awake and walking in love. That's what Paul's saying. Right? You, you have to set aside that kind of worldly, hedonistic pursuit if you want this. Now, understand the gospel's power. You can sin after you come to Jesus and still be a Christian, but you will not walk in the love that Paul is talking about here. Right? Second, there is to be no sexual immorality and sensuality. Sexual immorality, that phrase is a Greek word that can really be simply translated anything bed-related that's immoral, okay? Anything not in the context of a husband and a wife in covenant marriage is what it's talking about. But the word rendered there, sensuality, is actually one of the ugliest words in the, in the Greek language, which is describing a person who is not only given over to and walking in immorality, but is now become shameless. That they have become incapable of feeling shame for their immorality, particularly sexually. This is a problem in our culture right now. Like, let's name it. This is an issue for us. And so the Christian who wants to love. And the way that God is calling us has to understand that you cannot both love people and live for sexual gratification. It just does, it, it's not going to work. Now, here's the third specific one: is to abstain from quarreling and jealousy. And, and those first two, like most of us who are church folk, right? We're not going to orgies. We're not given to drunkenness. Probably, hopefully, we're not into sexual immorality and sensuality. And so we're might, maybe thinking we're doing pretty good. But then he gets to this third one, and it's like, now, uh oh, quarreling and jealousy. Oops, right? This just describes a kind of a person who just cannot stand being surpassed. They hold grudges against the success of other people. Some of you at your job, this is you. You get frustrated when other people succeed. Maybe not. That's great. And so many believers will act as if it's our duty, especially, and think about the way this list works. If you're in this third category, you may feel like it's your holy duty to keep the people who came from the first two categories in their spiritual place. And then, oopsie, you're on the list too. Right? And this can never exist in a heart that loves a neighbor. Right? Because Jesus came while you were yet a sinner and loved you. So Paul says, put these off. Get rid of these. 
right? And he's using garment language here. Take these off and get rid of them. And now he doesn't just tell us to quit stuff. He says he gives us some instruction on what to put on if we're to wake up and love now. Verse 14, he says this. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, it's true that if we are Christians, we have already put on the Lord, right? He's talking to Christians here. We've already put on the Lord. In his letter to the Christians in Galatia, he says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, using the same language here. But our text here in Romans is referencing the practical day-to-day repeated putting on of Christ, putting on of Christ, right? There was a, um, some of you may know the name David Crowder, was a, is a singer, was in a band by his name back in the day when the music was awesome. And, uh, and he wrote a book, and in his book, he equated spirituality or, or this putting on of Christ with a nun's habit, that you know who nuns are because of what they have put on. And I think that's a helpful metaphor that as we walk day to day and we put on Christ, others see it. We embrace him again and again and again, right? Coming and walking with Jesus is a daily practice. There's a famous pastor Ray Steadman gave this illustration. He says, when I get up in the morning, I put on my clothes, intending them to be part of me all day, to go where I go and to do what I do. They cover me. They make me presentable to others. That is the purpose of clothes. In the same way, the apostle is saying to us, put on Jesus Christ when you get up in the morning. Make him part of your life that day. Intend that he go everywhere you go and that he act through you in everything that you do. Call upon his resources. Live your life in Christ. So we cannot be both asleep and awake, right? We cannot be walking in both darkness and in light. We cannot be putting on both the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit. This is our wake-up call, once again, as we start this series, to once again put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in the single most important and basic way that we do that. Some of us are like, give me a list, pastor, of things I got to do, and that's not my job. Right? My job is to mainly ask, hopefully, good questions. And the single most important and basic way that we do that is by returning to a practice of prayer. So what does that look like for you? Right? Maybe nobody ever taught you how to pray. And by that, I mean let you be in the room while they prayed, because that's how you learn how to pray. This is why we make this 40 days of prayer the way we start off each year. And so my invitation to you is just to return to the practice of prayer. If you need help with that, Man, love to talk with you about it. Love to pray with you about it. Um, But I want to create some space for that today because it'd be pretty silly to stand up here and talk about this for 20 minutes and have the title 40 Days of Prayer and then not like pray, right? That would be kind of silly. So here's what I want to invite us to do. And just know I'm inviting you to do this as a person who, when I'm in the seats and the person does this, it makes me a little uncomfortable. So I get it. I'm with you, okay? So I'm not forcing anything here. If you are here with family members or friends and you want to like kind of get into a group, you're free to do that. If you want to just be by yourself, you're free to do that. But we're going to put some simple prayer prompts up on the screen here. And for the next just few minutes, um, I just want to move us through them and then I'll close us. And so pray silently, pray quietly in your little group if you want. Um, Just sit there and look at me like what's going on. That's fine. 
Um, but we're going to start with this prompt. God, I have been asleep, but I pray for awakening in my family, at my job, in my own spiritual life, whatever that is. Ask the Holy Spirit to, to guide that prayer, but then I want to invite you to pray this for the next minute or so. And um, it's going to be quiet in this room. We're, we're okay with quiet. So I just want to invite you to pray aloud, quietly in your little groups if you want, or just silently in your own head and heart. That's fine. And so I'll move us through as these prompts uh, go. This God, I've been asleep, but I pray for your awakening and whatever he leads you to pray for. Next, I just want to invite you to practice. This is an ancient Christian practice as well, the practice of confession. Uh, if you want to do that in your group or just silently, I want to invite you to just let this prompt you. I confess that I want to put off meaning. I want, Lord, I want to get rid of this jealousy in me or this practice that I secretly do that nobody knows about, but Lord, you know about it. I want to walk in freedom. I want to put this off. I want to walk in love. Let's spend a minute or so praying in that direction. And last, I just want to invite you to pray in this direction. Jesus, I embrace your life, and I long to live in it daily. just want to invite you to just sit with that for a minute or so and pray 
towards that end, that we would put on Christ and walk in that love. I want to just close our time uh, right now with this prayer. This was written uh, in the some of the resources from the Alliance, and I really liked it. So I'm going to just read this prayer over us, and this will be our closing prayer for this morning. God, we pray for an awakening in our hearts. We pray for a deep hunger and a deep longing for you. We ask for a fresh anointing from you. We declare our lack of satisfaction in and rejection of the things that are causing us to drift off to sleep. Search us and know our hearts, O God. Replace sloth with vigor, sin with holiness, and indifference with passion. Wake us up now, Lord. Amen.